we look up, and to our horror, we'd been caught in a riptide, and we were way out to sea. The hotel looked like a toy in the distance. And so it took us like an hour to get back. Mm -hmm. We collapsed. But that became a central metaphor for how most people live. They just Mm -hmm. drift through life. And here's the thing. No one ever drifted to a destination they would have chosen. Top leaders. Meaningful conversation. Actionable advice. Bulldoze complacency. Ignite inspiration. Create impact. Produced by Southwestern Family of Companies. This is the Action Catalyst. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. Michael Hyatt is the guest on today's show, and he is the former CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishing. So, Michael, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Great to be on with you. Yeah. So tell me, like, what exactly is this concept of life plan? Yeah. So a life plan is basically a brief written document, you know, not one of those big documents that some of us prepare to the corporate world that, uh, you know, we took three days or four days in an offsite retreat to create and then we put it on a shelf and never looked at it again. Uh You know, this is a very brief document, eight to 15 pages. It covers every aspect of your life. And we talk about where you want to be in all the major areas of your life. And it's a document that you'll tweak and adjust as you go through the seasons of your life. But the basic design is to get the 30,000-foot view of your life so that you don't end up at a destination you didn't choose. And people do that all the time. You know, they end up uh, getting through their midlife and, and they find that their health is not what they wanted or their marriage isn't what they had signed up for or their career is just stalled out. But the way to avoid that is to be intentional. And I don't know of a better way to be intentional than to create a life plan. It's like anything else. You got to plan uh, for it if you're going to get a different result. Yeah. And you 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 use this phrase, uh, you call it the drift. Yeah. I love this concept. And it really came from an experience that my wife, Gail, and I had when we'd been married 10 years. We decided to go on a vacation to celebrate our 10-year anniversary. Only problem was we didn't have that much money, but we took all of our airline miles and we went to Hawaii. When we got there... We had enough money for the hotel and a rental car, but not a lot of money for entertainment. Mm-hmm. But we found out that the hotel was offering free snorkeling lessons, and they were going to teach us in the swimming pool, and then they were going to take us out onto the reef. So we did that. And when we got out into the reef, I mean, our heads exploded. We could not believe how amazing that was. So we discovered that we could rent snorkeling gear for $10 for the entire week. We thought, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. So the next morning after those snorkeling lessons... We went to the lagoon that was adjacent to the hotel, and we paddled out into the water. And it was like swimming in an aquarium. Uh All these multicolored fish, and the seaweed was swaying and and reflecting the sunlight. And we were totally captivated, totally distracted. 45 minutes later, we look up, and to our horror, we'd been caught in a riptide, and we were way out to sea. The hotel looked like a toy in the distance. And so Gail pulled her head up and she screamed. Fortunately, we were still together. We had a boogie board, which was also a blessing. She said, what are we going to do? And I said, we're going to swim like crazy for the shore. And so it took us like an hour to get back. We collapsed. But that became, for us, a central metaphor for how most people live. They just drift through life. They don't wake up in the morning and say, you know what? I think sometime in my midlife, I want to have a heart attack. You know, I'm going to gradually get overweight until I just have a health breakdown and a health crisis. 
Or they don't start out after they leave their wedding and say, you know, I want to grow gradually apart until we end up in separation or divorce. Or in my career, I think I'll just top out and get stuck, you know, in about five years and never progress any further. People drift to those destinations. It's what happens when we get distracted. It's what happens when we don't have a plan and we're just drifting through life. And here's the thing. No one ever drifted to a destination they would have chosen. Have you always had a life plan? No. So here's what happened. Um, Like a lot of people, I had a plan for my work. But the truth is, life is a lot more than work. And I want to win at work, but I want to succeed at life. But initially, I was highly driven in my work, and I was very successful in my work. But in about the year 2000, I had taken over uh, one of the divisions at Thomas Nelson Publishers. Uh, We had 14 divisions at the time. The division I became the general manager of was dead last in every single metric. So in sales growth, return on investment, return on assets, all those things were just upside down. So the CEO said to me, he said, "Um, okay, how long is it going to take you to turn this division around and make it (laughs) profitable? I just picked the number out of the air. I didn't know. I said three years. He said, okay, you got it. So I went back to my team. I shared with them what I thought we needed to do. Everybody started you know, working together, but we were on the road constantly. We went from number 14 to number one in 18 months. That's why I ended up as the CEO. But here's the problem. It came at a cost because I was on the road all the time. I wasn't paying attention to what I was eating. I wasn't working out like I should. I felt like I was drifting apart uh, from Gail and my relationship with her. Other members of my team were doing it. And I finally went to John Maxwell, who was one of my authors that I was publishing at Thomas Nelson, and he'd become a good friend and a mentor. And I said, John, I don't think this story is going to end well if I continue drifting like I'm drifting. I've got to have something. I've got I to figure this out because it's not sustainable. And he said to me, I want to introduce you to Daniel Harkavy, uh. who's the CEO of Building Champions, which is a coaching company. And he said, I think you should talk to him. So I hired Daniel as my executive coach. First thing that Daniel did with me is he said, buddy let's create a life plan because I get that you have a plan for your career, but it's not working so well with the rest of your life. And we need a plan for those other domains of your life. And so we did that. And we took, uh, I took an entire day and that's what we asked for in the book is people give us a day and we created this life plan. I created this life plan, ran it by Daniel and I've had one ever since. And it's been major, probably the most major thing in my life to help me not only win at work, but to succeed at life. So did you and Gail like do this together? Yeah. So Gail and I have been married for 30, almost 38 years. Wow. And we have five daughters. They're all grown now. All of them are very successful in their own right. But uh, yeah, it was really when they were in their teenage years that I finally decided uh, that I needed to get this life plan together. But it made all the difference. I, I No telling where I would have ended up in my personal life if I had not gotten a life plan and gotten a vision for what was possible in my marriage and in my parenting and my health and every other domain. You know, some people still kind of think about their lives in like these segmented compartments. Do you think that they are really segmented or are are they all connected and it really is this holistic view or kind of like, what's your thought on that? It's it's holistic. I mean, we, for the sake of abstraction and for the sake of focusing on them, we divide them up. But the truth is all these things are interrelated. So for example, I, I worked for a guy one time who was going through a divorce and it was brutal. It was very contested. It was very... Uh, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of resentment. The guy was totally unavailable at work. This was my boss. He would come in at about 10 in the morning. He was completely um, sidetracked by what was going on with his divorce. His head was not in the game. 
He was not engaged. And that went on for about a year. So these different areas affect everything else. If you have a health crisis, you know, you have a heart attack, it's going to have an impact on your family. Yeah. It's going to have an impact uh, on your work. It's going to have an impact on your friendships. So you can you can separate them for the purpose of planning, but they show up together as a seamless whole. Part of my life plan is to make sure that I get enough sleep. Why? Because sleep is directly related to your ability to focus. But that's why, you know, sometimes you get up and you're tired and you're trying to read something in the morning and you have to read the same page three or four times because you're tired. You know, you, you didn't get enough sleep. And on the other hand, you know, I think sometimes when I get to the end of the day and I'm trying to do a, a complex project and Gail will say to me, you know what, why don't you just go to bed? Because you're like 10 times better in the morning. Why? Because I'm rested. So, uh, so how do you create a life plan? So tell us about how. Okay. So it's pretty simple, but the life plan is basically the answer to three incredibly important, powerful questions. Okay. Okay. So you want me to give these to you? Yeah. Okay. So the first question is how do you want to be remembered? Now, kind of the myth of our society is that you're going to live forever. You know, we conveniently put six sick people out of our line of vision, uh, people that are dying. You know, we put those out of our field of vision, you know, because we act like we're going to live forever. But the truth is we're all going to die. And Steve Jobs said, and this was fascinating. He said this two years before he died, almost prophetically. He said that facing death was the single most important tool he had for making life's most important decisions. Whoa. And that was at a commencement address at Stanford University. And it's true. So one of the things that we do in this section of the book in answer to this question is we have you imagine that you're a guest at your own funeral. Yeah. So just imagine on the front row, there's your family, all the people that are living now. Imagine if you were to die an untimely death today and on the front row are all the people that you love the most. Directly behind them are the people that you work with and your friends and your neighbors and the people you go to church with. What would they be saying about you if they were asked to give a eulogy? And we, ha and we have you write that out. Write your eulogy. And for most people, there's going to be a gap. They're going to go, ah, I need more time. You know, because what my kids are probably going to say is I work too much. Or when I'm there having dinner with them, I'm on my cell phone and I'm handling email and I'm not paying attention to them or I need more time to get in shape or whatever it is. But here's the good news. You're not dead yet, right? <laughs> so there's still time. So then we have you create a series of legacy statements. And, and this, is, this is one of my favorite things to do. So um, you're not dead yet. And we have you and we give you a little formula. So, you know, for example, I say, I want Gail to remember and then, you know, it's things like that I take long we, uh, walks with her in the evening, uh, that we sit and watch the sunset, that I'm her best friend. So we create these legacy statements because here's the reality. All of us are going to leave a legacy. Sometimes we think that's, you know, Margaret Thatcher will have a legacy or Winston Churchill had a legacy or Theodore Roosevelt had a legacy. But all of us will leave a legacy. The only question is, is it going to be good or is it going to be bad? And you and I can engineer those memories, the the things that people talk about when we ultimately pass, we can engineer those conversations beginning today. And that's that's the first question. How do you want to be remembered? So this is my one for Gail. I said, I want Gail to remember how I loved her, understood her, pursued her, and helped her accomplish her dreams. I want her to remember specific times that we shared together, times we laughed, times we cried, times we spent discussing things that were important to both of us, the times we just held one another, and watch the sunset. Or 
here's one for how I want my colleagues, the people that work with me in my company. I say, I want my colleagues to remember my servant leadership, my integrity, my humility, and my commitment to having fun. I want them to remember how much they learned and grew as a result of knowing me. Most of all, I want them to remember how I stood for the greatness in them and empowered them to accomplish more than they ever thought possible. So I do one of those for each major category of my life. The second question is, what is important to you? Now, you probably know what's important to your spouse. You know what's important to your boss. You know what's important to your customers. You know, we all know what's important to other people, but this is a question about you. What's important to you? Because if we don't know what our own priorities are, then it's going to be very difficult to order our life in a way that gets us what we want to get. So we have you identify the major categories of your life, and it's going to be different depending on the season of life you're in. Mm -hmm. Like once you guys have kids, that's going to be a completely different game than the one you're playing now. And your priorities will shift. You know, your, your priorities can shift if you've got a new business. Um, you know, all of us that have been through that certainly understand that. But, uh, you know, for me, for example, you know, and by the way, once we identify the different categories and we ask you to rank them. So for me, you know, it's God first. It's me next. And here's uh -huh. why. It's like when the flight attendant comes out, and does the little thing before you take off. They say, put the face mask, you know, the oxygen mask on yourself first before you attempt to uh, help somebody else. If you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be of much use to anybody else. So the purpose is not being selfish. The purpose is to be of service. So I got to take care of me to be of service to somebody else. So to get that, that list down, and I, I tell you another quick story. During the recession, when I was the CEO of Thomas Nelson, I took a much needed vacation after, you know, months of hand-to-hand -hand combat, slugging it out in the recession. Board gave me the approval. Uh, Gail and I took off for Denver on a Friday afternoon. We changed planes in Dallas. I made the mistake of checking my email. There was a message from the chairman of my board said, hey, change of plans. We need to come in and talk about an issue on uh, Monday, and I need you to come back. And I said, I showed it to Gail. Her heart sank. My heart sank. We'd had all this planned. And so I made a really hard decision and it was scary, but my priorities gave me the courage to make the right decision in the face of that. I wrote him back and I said, I'm sorry, I won't be there. My staff will be queued up to help you, but I'm going on this vacation because I need it for the rest and I need it for my relationship with Gail. And those two priorities, and I didn't say this part, those two priorities come ahead of you. <laughs> and, uh, and then I turned off my email. Now, here's the funny thing. I got back to the office. I asked my CFO, I said, what was that meeting about? He said, look, that totally could have been handled by email. It was a non-event. And I almost scuttled my vacation for what was going to be a non-event. But because I had a list of priorities and I knew what came first, second, third, and fourth, and I knew for me at that time, work was about number five on my list. It, uh, it became a clear uh, decision for me. It gave me clarity and courage. I love that. And that is unique. So, well, you're not going to get the third answer here. So what is next for Michael Hyatt? Yeah, for me, I always want to make, and I got this idea from Dan Sullivan, but I always want to make my future bigger than my past. So I have a 25-year plan because I think it's important to constantly be creating value, constantly be stretching and growing. To me, happiness comes not in attaining anything. It comes in the pursuit of the stuff that's important to me and the stuff I feel called uh, to pursue. So it's, it's feeling like I'm growing, feel like I'm progressing. And for me, it's really right now at this period of my life, it's about building my team and pouring into their lives. So I've got a small team of about 15 people and they're my top priority. I just want to build into their lives and make them great. Michael, I just want to say thank you for 
who you are and what you do and just for the, the countless number of people that you inspire every day. Thanks. Great to be with you. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. And to stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and on Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. And thanks for listening.